Today is Saturday, January 21st, and this is Celtic Speed on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, episode 496, featuring Seth Lamon, former ESPN NBA fantasy writer and a bigger C's fan than you. It's powered by BetOnline.ag and HelloFresh. Go to BetOnline.ag today, use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. And go to HelloFresh.com slash BEAT21, that's B-E-A-T-21. Use the code BEAT21 for 21 free meals plus free shipping. What's up, everybody? Welcome in Celtics Beat, special live edition coming to you on YouTube, on the CLNS Media channels, and of course, Twitter as well. Thanks for following along. And uh, what better way to hop right back into this show midway through the first month of the calendar year than to talk about a team that, uh, you know, I don't know, knock on wood, can't lose. Eight straight wins going into this afternoon's game. I know Evan's already just, I've, I've jinxed it. They play, they play you know two hours. I do know better, but you guys both know that I don't give a crap about yeah, you don't like care. that because, because I'm an adult and I have and I have grown up beyond the point of jinxes. Seth Landman, Evan Valenti, I am Adam Kaufman, the three of us. When we're not talking here doing this kind of thing, we're just talking over text. So we figured, what the hell, let's bring these conversations to air. Fellas, how are you? I'm killing it, you know, per usual. Just killing it, killing life, enjoying myself, getting ready for Raptors. Celtics tipping off in four hours, four hours, three and a half hours, something like that. So three we're getting ready. Hours, yeah. You know me, man. Also three. just killing it. Just like Evan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah just just uh, we're all out here living our, our best lives. Uh, I, mean, I, I feel like I came dressed for dome theory. Shout out Bobby Manning. What's that? Well, like, you know, like 95% of my mood is based on how the Celtics are playing. So right now I'm doing great. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're flying high right now, as you should yeah. be. Like I said, eight straight wins, top team in the NBA record-wise, and, uh, you know, among them, obviously, performance-wise. I, I just, I was pulling up the standings just before we came on, and, you know, as as people may or may not sense about me based on how I tweet or what I talk about when we're doing these shows, but I don't honestly spend a lot of time thinking about wins and losses for other teams Celtics obviously but I don't I'm not like a scoreboard watcher I don't pay a, a whole lot of attention to the standings until we get down the the stretch of the regular and you start to eye seating and that type of thing for the playoffs you know I, I I pay much more attention obviously to how individuals play and that type of thing and uh, I I know just from you know I don't know listening to other people that the Celtics have opened up a, a sizable lead in the Eastern Conference so I go to check it and all right four and a half games up on both the Bucks and Sixers but what I'm driving at here is I said oh all right I wonder how much they're up on the entire NBA and it blew me away but I know this is near and dear to uh, a, a former Denver resident a Nuggets fan and a, a super fan of Nikola Jokic it blew my mind that the Nuggets are first in the Western Conference and have a record of 33 and 13 as we sit here right now I had absolutely no idea they were playing quite that well quite a good team they are like that that offense um they are really rolling. I don't know what you're supposed to do against Jokic. I mean, and and that's like one of the last losses the Celtics had also. Just, um, you know, you can score points against that team, but I don't think there's any defense for what they do. So well, there's, no, there's no, I was listening to, I think it was Lowe 
Zach Lowe recently, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how Greg Popovich was talking about how to stop, not stop Jokic, but like how they defend him. And Popovich was very adamant that with Jokic, you have to send help. What, and the help has to be coming from a place that he can't see. Because yeah. if he sees it coming, he's just going to pick you apart, which he's been doing all season and past four years anyway. But you have to bring help from a place that he can't see it. So we can and even continue. and even even then he just susses it out and figures. It's like, unbelievable. You can fool him once, but you can't fool him twice. Well, the thing is, we all need to root for Denver, uh, specifically uh, Aaron Gordon to score like a bunch of points. Because if Gordon gets to the All Star game, he'll do the dunk contest. And holy cow, could we use that in that particular event? I mean, look, there, there, like Mac McClung is going to maybe do it. Like Mac McClung's not even in the NBA, man. Like, what are we doing here? That's how desperate this has gotten. So if, if people want to just vote for uh, uh, Aaron Gordon, so we have at least somebody that can do something, that'd be wonderful. It's but, one of the yeah. most important. It's one of the most important issues of our time, Evan. I agree. Yeah. We got to get Aaron Gordon in the dunk. One of the most well, important days of Seth Landman's life is All-Star Saturday night. I love All Star Saturday Night, man. Don't dis. I love that stuff, but it hasn't been good since Levine and, and Gordon don't do it anymore. And like when they were doing it, it was actually like must see television. I'll never forget watching Aaron Gordon uh, jump over the mascot, go under the legs, and then flush it down. Like that was the greatest dunk contest dunk I've ever seen in my life. And all of them were like that. Like there were eight dunks like that between. Anyway, it's the Celtics beat, not Denver beat, but I'm just pointing out we need to do that. Yeah, as uh, everyone out there listening uh, anticipated in all likelihood with a team that has won eight straight games, uh, it's this entire show is going to focus on the slam dunk competition and all-star festivities. Uh, listen, this is a live show, so if you have any questions on YouTube, on Twitter, I know the show's going out on my Twitter page, at Adam M. Kaufman. Hopefully you're seeing it there or again on YouTube. Uh, by all means, get your questions in about this team, how they're playing. We will look, we will pay attention, we will see them hopefully react and teach you a few things uh, along the way as best we can as well. But uh, like we said, guys, it's, guys yes, the Nuggets, yeah, are, the nuggets are, are incredibly hot with the ninth state win. The uh, Celtics are winners of eight in a row uh, out there just, just not, you know, wiping the floor with teams, some obviously, but they're coming off that narrow against the Warriors. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the, the, the ins and outs of the game. Just a couple of, kind of general notes. One I'll, I'll save, but I think we need to just begin with the Jason Tatum of, of it all. Because that seems to be what I don't like to spend a lot of time reacting to what people on other shows, be it radio, TV, or podcast, are talking about. But there's so much stupidity out there as it surrounds him's performance against the Warriors that it would just be, I don't know, kind of foolhardy to ignore it. No, it was not, you know, a, a, a Larry Legend throwback game as the ultimate final stat line would would indicate in, in the historical perspective that we always like to put these games in once they're completed and guys have crazy performances stat-wise. But he also wasn't bad either. Like people out there are saying, Jason Dayton was bad against the Warriors. He definitely had some bad moments. He definitely had some questionable decisions. But to say that Jason Tatum was bad against Golden State or that they would have even sniffed a victory, let alone winning in overtime by the slimmest of margins, was he the number one factor? Make a case for Horford. Make a case for Rob Williams. Go right ahead. They were excellent. But Jason Tatum had himself good night 
against Golden State. Landman, of course, you being our guest, I'll uh, I'll defer to you. I mean, am I nuts on this? Is is the is the conversation out there surrounding Jason Tatum at all reasonable? No, it's not reasonable. But I'm really glad you brought up the Larry Bird thing because I actually think it's not a bad comparison. When like um, when Bird was in his prime, one of the things everyone always said about him was on a night when he didn't have it going as a shooter, he did other things to help a team win the game. Um, and that other thing was often rebounding. And Tatum, I mean, like, when we say he had a bad game, are we just, like, ignoring the fact that he had 17 defensive rebounds in this in a game <laughs> that we won because we got eight more shots than the Warriors? Like, um, you know, the Celtics grinded out this win on a night where they didn't have shots going in. Tatum was 12 for 12 at the line, had 19 rebounds, and just, like, owned the defensive glass for basically the entire night after the first quarter. So, I mean, like, yeah, to say he had a bad game is just inane. He was the best player on the floor. It's like, it's, I mean, like, did he have a great game in the ways that, like, always look the best? Probably not. But he was a plus seven in a game they won by three. And um, I think it's pretty hard to argue that he wasn't, like, the best player on the floor in that game. And oh, by the way, <laughs> you know, by the way, he's out against Toronto. Out against- 41 straight minutes to close out that game. So it's not like he was getting any sort of breaks or anything like that either. But, Ev, go ahead. Well, that's the point I was going to make. Like, this this particular team, you know, doesn't survive and doesn't win that game if Tatum doesn't go 41 straight minutes. So to say he had a bad game uh, I think is, is kind of ridiculous. Uh, they don't win that game without Jason Tatum at all uh, whatsoever. So I think, to me – uh, if I were someone trying to analyze what Jason Tatum did, you just first off, yes, understand he did not shoot the ball well, and he said, he, oh, not said, but he had uh, seven turnovers. There we go. Uh, this is this is a guy who again seven rebounds, plays great defense, and the one thing that I think again, when you know your shot's not falling, you go to the free throw line, twelve mm-hmm. for twelve from the free throw line, and this is something that Jason Tatum didn't do in the past when he doesn't have it going. The fact that he has been able to find ways to get to the basket, draw fouls, get to the free throw line. Uh, that's super, super important. Um, I love the fact that Tatum uh, was able to kind of grind through this game. The Celtics were able to grind through this game. And, and Joe Mazzullo talked about it after the game too, about how important it was uh, for them to, to grind through some things. And, you know, again, not because not every game's going to go perfect. You're not going to shoot 30% or, or, or 60% from, from the field, 50% from three every single game. You're going to shoot 30% from three. You're going to shoot 40% from the field. And you're going to turn the ball over 17 times. You just have to find ways to get through it against quality competition. And I think you check all of those those boxes. Um, and that's, to me, the most important thing is the fact that they were able to play a sloppy game, you know, get down. They were up early, then down early, then that lead – that deficit that they had, you know, stuck, you know, around you know, through the third quarter into the fourth quarter and about six minutes left, they really ratcheted up and was able to tie the game and win it overtime. Like, again, not every game is going to be perfect. The fact that they can win imperfectly against the defending champions is what I think everybody should walk away from this game from, not the fact that Tatum played terribly. Um, um, if, you, if, you, go ahead. if you zoom out a little bit, like um... – one of the things I've been noticing is like, so last year we, we all know that they were the best defense in the league last year, but they were a pretty average team when it came to rebounding and fouling. Like um, they were right around the middle of the league in terms of preventing offensive rebounds. And they were right around the middle of the league in terms of putting their opponents on the line. And this year they've like, they're like leading the league in defensive rebounding 
and they're second in the league in opponent foul rate. And so I think like Missoula and the team, they've just done a really good job of like picking all the low hanging fruit. Um, so like, yeah, there's been games where the shots didn't go in and they struggled, but it's just really hard to beat this team when they're like, if they're going to get, if they're going to lead the league in defensive rebounding rate and they're not going to give you points at the line, like, sure. They could have a game like the other night where they're turning it over too much, but was it 17 turnovers? I forget the exact number, but like they, yeah, they just don't give you a lot of like easy ways to beat them um, beyond that. And so like, you know, that's about, I, I feel like that game against the Warriors is about as sloppy as the Celtics can get. I do feel like there's some the something about the way the Warriors dig on Tatum and Brown, like when they drive to the basket, um, like those guys get kind of loose with the dribble. Um, but, you know, like <laughs> that's basically as like hard as it gets for the Celtics and they still came away and won this ugly game. So, you know, yeah, you have to be just incredibly encouraged. So these eight straight wins, five of which came on the road, by the way, I think that is worth mentioning because this team has been basically as dominant, you know, no matter where it plays, put them on the moon, they're still going to find a way to to beat their their opponents and in some cases beat the snot out of them. We've seen some blowouts over the course of this year, but I think, you know, what what is the biggest talking point for me coming out of this most recent win over the Warriors should not be, I know we started with it, but should not be, all right, how was Jason Tatum? Is, 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 where is he ranking the MVP conversation? What, how well did he play? And is, is, you know, the, does he have this golden state complex with the turnovers going back to the finals and yada, yada, yada. The big thing for me is team to team. I can only fathom what the narrative would have been if the Celtics lost that game in any way, shape or form regulation, overtime, whatever. If they simply lost that game, it just would have been all this stuff talked about, written about the, the Warriors have the Celtics number. They're in their heads. The, the C's can't get over the hump. This was to me a statement win guys, just to, just to, if for no other reason, just to show, you know what? We can compete where we're, it, it, and we knew that like we were just there in the finals against them last year, but we are reminding ourselves that we can compete, that we can beat this team, that it, even regular season game, never mind the finals, maybe down the road they'll see each other again. But at least in the here and now, yes, we belong. Yes, this was some sort of a, a, a confidence check or whatever it is. Would have still been fine if they lost and they'd won seven out of eight in terms of the overall standings. But to win a game like this, and in the way in part that they did win it and coming back, you know, up and down and then overtime and Tatum has some heroic moments and Jalen Brown after a terrible shooting night finds a way to hit that three to four overtime not everybody was at their best but obviously some of the role players were whether it was Horford whether it was Rob Williams like we mentioned before I just think as a victory just as a win without fully dissecting it Seth I think it was just really important to this team's psyche I want I always wonder about this stuff. Like, is it important to the team psyche or is it important to like our psyche as fans? Like, you know, we start to like, we start to lose our mind if they lose two games to the Warriors after the, after what the finals looked like, the players don't seem quite as hung up about it, but I will say um, when the game wasn't going well, I was having these moments of feeling like maybe this is good for Tatum and Brown to get like, to, to like realize that they don't have it all figured out against these guys. And like, 
it's definitely good. the way they won this game and the resilience, all that stuff is like really great. Like winning ugly. I love it. But I do feel like the dribble, like the ball handling against the Warriors. And I'm also looking at like a matchup like today against the Raptors or against the Heat, like teams with like good, um, good wing defenders uh, who like and who are like well coached and like scout you and know that your dribble is a little loose. Like I am sort of waiting to see these guys like Jalen and Jason kind of clean it up against those guys a little bit more, but. I'll say, though, the one thing that I think is interesting coming out of this game is clearly Al Horford is leaving some mm. of the tank for, for the playoffs here. Because, I mean, he was spectacular yeah. uh, against the Warriors Thursday night. Uh, he hasn't always looked like that. And I think it's really important that Al does this. Like, it's great that Al understands exactly what this regular season is for. Like, dude, all you got to do is just get through this and make sure that your body is fully right by the time we get April, May, June. And every once in a while, just remind everybody you can dial it back. I mean, the defense he played on Curry on the wing on an island with the game on the line, where we saw Kevin Loved, Kevin Love, doing doing the same thing just a couple of years ago, trying to play that same dance. Al Horford stuck right with him the entire time, and like I don't know, thirty six year old Al Horford playing against one of the best guards in NBA history on an island to win the game is not exactly kind of what you want, but at the same time, like Al. Held up. He was tremendous. And, 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 you know, the passing that he has, he had a couple of clutch threes towards the end of the game. He hit one to make it a one point game off a great Jason Tatum pass. I think it was left handed to the right, to the right wing. Horford drained that. I think he had another one in overtime to make it a four point game. I mean, the guy's unbelievably durable considering he's 36 and plays, you know, a good amount of minutes, but he's become a better shooter than he's ever been. He's, he's, you know, again, managing his particular load on both ends until it really matters. I mean, again, the fountain of youth he found in Oklahoma city and, and it's just been amazing since coming back to Boston. And I, again, that, that game that he played on both ends on Thursday, night, I thought was spectacular. Can, can we talk about um, Rob and Al, like the combo? Sure. So like, cause my, I have talk a, about I whatever actually, we want, man. It's our show. Okay. I have a question for you guys. Do you is like how do you feel about Rob and Al playing together at this point? Like, the, uh, are you still like into it the same way we all were into it last year? Do you have doubts about it? How are you feeling about it? Because I have questions. I mean, I I like certain aspects of it. I like the fact that that Al can stretch it out to be kind of a four around one. I love the passing, depending who's on the floor at that time between Rob and Al as as guys that can facilitate as big men. I love that. Sometimes it gets a little clunky, I think, but at the same time, I think you just got to keep trying it because, again, the, the the rating last year when those five guys played together, Smart, Brown, Tatum, Rob, and Al, that starting five unit like, like was insane in terms of plus-minus. Um, yeah. Their offensive and defensive ratings were, were spectacular. Um, I think you owe it to that group to just keep trying it and make sure it looks okay. But at the same time, I'm fully uh, – on board to admit it might not be the lineup you want to close with at the end of games. Like I, I was thinking early on in the season when Malcolm Brogdon was playing extremely well, I was like, if you have Smart, Brogdon, Tatum, uh, Brown, and Rob, you have an unbelievably switchy defense, um, a, a good three-point shooting offense, and can really pass and, and facilitate. So, I mean, I, I know Joe's going to experiment between now and the end of the year. I'm not convinced that 
the old starting five, quote unquote, is the group you need to close with. Um, just because of what Malkin can give you off the bounce as another guy that can, you know, attack the paint and how important that is and how important Rob's, you know, lob threat is to their offense and having that guy out there. Um, but I, I'm also not here to say that the old starting five doesn't work. I think it's a great unit. I just think it's, there's possible better units out there for them to experiment with at the end of games. That's all. What are the reservations? Well, like, you know, so this last year and this year, uh, so, and obviously the sample size from this year is limited. So I I was looking Mm -hmm. up the numbers and it's still, they're still only at like 230 possessions, which is basically like two, two full games in a little more time. But, um, you know, they're, the offense isn't working basically with those two guys on the floor. The defense is still just as elite as it was last year. And I wonder, like, cause Al's like shooting out of his mind. So it's hard to know exactly what, like what those, what is going on in those numbers where the offense is like falling off with those two bigs on the floor. Um, like as opposed to last year. Um, and it's encouraging that the defense is still holding up, but I do wonder like, you know, we're, we're we're probably going to end up talking about like what this team maybe needs to add at the trade deadline, if anything. I mean, I think they don't need to add anything, but what they could add. And we're probably going to end up talking about centers. And I don't necessarily disagree with that, but like, is it as big of a problem if like you could just be playing both those guys 24 minutes a game right now, like, and just not doubling up their minutes and like mm. not even worrying about Cornette and like, or giving one of them the night off once in a while. So I don't know. I mean, like uh, given, given that Rob has missed so much of the season and the defensive rebounding is still elite anyway, like um, I just wonder uh, there, there may be other better lineups to be playing to Evan's point. Like I'm really interested in what happens when you pair one of those guys with Grant Especially Rob and Grant feels like a really interesting pairing to me. Um, so yeah, but oh, one thing I will say about it though, the um, okay, this is incredibly weird, but I was the re, like the the Celtics like the things they're not doing this. Year. So earlier I talked about they are getting all the defensive rebounds and they're not fouling, but they're not mm-hmm. forcing any turnovers. And they're not like getting a lot of offensive rebounds on their own. Now, Rob, Rob coming back fixes the offensive rebounding problem. That guy is like eating glass. It's crazy. It's but, so much. It's so refreshing to watch him, especially against Golden State's smaller players. It's like second, yeah. third, fourth, fifth. And he's just jumping like it's like yes. seven offensive rebounds. He was amazing. But so like, wouldn't you guys have thought that when Rob came back, the team would start forcing more turnovers? Like, all year it's been this thing where we don't force any turnovers and I've been waiting for like, I'm wondering why that is. And like, it's, it's like really weird. They're at the bottom of the league in terms of forcing turnovers. And I thought maybe, okay, when Rob comes back, his shot blocking will like have a trickle down effect that will lead to like more aggressive perimeter defense and more steals and all that stuff. And it's just not happening. Like when Rob is on the floor, they're basically not forcing any turnovers. Um, and so I don't know. It's it's just interesting. I there's there's something going on there where they're like doing all the smart stuff, but they're not taking any risks. And I wonder. Well, I, might, I might be making this up entirely because I haven't looked up the the number. I'm just I, I haven't even thought about it actually until just now, which is why I haven't looked up the number. But are they fouling at a higher rate than they were last year? Never fouling. So that's definitely part of it. They're like second in the league in opponent free throw rate. Yeah. 
I just wonder, yes. you know, how handsy they are, how, how yeah, aggressive no, they're not, they are on that end. They're not doing that at all. So it is interesting. Like, I wonder what the trade-off is. Like, we all love when they get out in transition, right? Like, um, and not forcing turnovers means you're in transition less, but not putting people on the line is always good. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, it's a trade-off. Sure. But, but I definitely thought, you know, given what the defense – there were games last year where it felt like they were like a bunch of – attack dogs on defense it was like you know they're like mauling opposing point guards at the top of the key and just going the other way for dunks and like we're not really seeing that tatum had weird. that tatum had that, like, guys uh, are good at that right yeah like, yeah Marcus smart Derek white jason tatum you know those three guys i mean you could throw jalen brown in there if you'd like to but like those three guys specifically it robs like length like that should be something that they're really good at and it's and maybe it's strategic. Again, they're, maybe they're trading defensive rebounding for, for, for you know, less gambling. You know, you'd rather yeah. if you gamble and don't get the steal, you give up an open shot versus you play solid defense, get the rebound, get out and run that way. I mean, there are different ways to get out and run. Yeah. Um, you know, and depending on who the person on the floor is, you can you can do a couple of different things. Like I love when Pritchard always pushes on makes. Like that's my fa- one of my favorite things that he does. And they don't do that enough. Yeah. Um, but like they're they're. You know, they don't – they just – it's it's weird. Maybe they're not being as aggressive right now. Maybe they'll turn it up later. Or maybe they just this is what they're going to be this year. Maybe they're just – it's just going to be a team that doesn't go for steals. They play solid because they play great defense. Um, yep. You know, top five in the league now, I think, in both categories, both offensive and defensive rating. So, like, you know what? Instead of gambling for stuff, we're going to rely on our defense. We're going to clear the glass, and we're going to end possessions that way. Um, and I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Again, Jason Tatum is rebounding out of his mind this year. Um, and they have the guys in the length to rebound well. Like, this is the first time, I feel like in a while, they've had a really good rebounding team. Like, that, if you go back prior to when the Jays were, you know, the focal point of the team, they, they never were a good rebounding team. I had to listen to years and years and years mm-hmm. of people tell me that Al Horford is not a good rebounder. It's like, yes. Oh you know, so now it's at least a strength. As, as if he was the guy that you signed to go twenty and ten <laughs> every night, every night. Exactly, I got enough. Because so he because never he never did it in Atlanta the first nine years of his career. But who's going to be when he gets to Boston? Just you wait. Oh man, yeah. a lot of the old yeah. hey, quick, we, we, we do have lots to cover, and we can get to the center position and and potential needs and all of that stuff. But I, I want to take a quick break, fellas, just to acknowledge, to appreciate, to shout out. Uh, one of our, our new partners, sponsors, good friends of this show now, that was, of course, HelloFresh. Uh, and, and Evan, I think, started talking to you. I wasn't here last week, but I think Evan started talking to you a little bit about HelloFresh. He has been posting on his Instagram page. It's shown up on, on my page as well, if you haven't checked it out. With HelloFresh, you can get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients, and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. So you can skip the trips to the grocery store and all the agonizing, even like curbside pickup, any of that stuff. It's annoying. Count on HelloFresh to make your home cooking easy, fun, and affordable, which, of course, is among the most important things for all of us that uh, are, are budget conscious. I think a lot of us fall into that category. HelloFresh is... Uh, America's number one meal kit. Uh, you got, of course, New Year's goals, some of you, for eating healthier or weight loss or nutrition or whatever it may be. HelloFresh is here to help you achieve them. Skip the grocery store, like I said. Take control of your time and your diet and your budget and all of it with delicious recipes delivered right to your door. If you're looking for an easy way to eat well 
and more importantly, save money this year. Cut back on all the expensive takeout and delivery that I eat on a regular basis and need to try and clean up for my own waistline and all of that. Get the delivery. Get started with HelloFresh. You will absolutely love how fast, easy, and affordable it is to whip up a restaurant-quality meal right in your own kitchen. Again, if you don't believe me, Evan has been posting videos. Uh, they they sent, just to take you behind the curtain for a moment, HelloFresh sent Evan and I each three meals. We have each made one to this point. Uh, I, I need to be a little bit more photogenic with mine. Evan was giving you a full, you know, cooking prep and, and uh, you know, uh, ultimate end product display, maybe even the empty plate as well after he, you know, he finished off the dish. But uh, it's, it's easy. It, again, it's, it's just, it's so simple. And I assure you, as someone biggest, who really cannot cook. Why, the biggest reason why I yeah, should do I, Adam, do you cook? You have to. Do I do not cook. Did you cook a HelloFresh meal? I cooked a HelloFresh meal. You should have seen it. All right. I, I should do, I should do like Instagram live the next time around. Although I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't want to like bore anybody, but it, uh, you know, maybe post the videos and stages or something like that or, or the, the progressive photos. But yeah, it's, it's simple. It's simple, which is what I need in my life when it comes to cooking. It's, it's beyond simplicity that is the most important thing. I cook a lot. Okay. I love cooking. It's one of my favorite things to do. It's actually one of my like de stressors in life. Uh, however, I will admit, Maybe I don't cook the healthiest stuff all the time. Okay. <laughs> now I know that everybody's guilty of this. Uh, uh, as an example, like uh, one serving of pasta does not help me out at all at, whatsoever. However, look how healthy this meal is. You know, it's healthy right when you see it. And one of the biggest things I like about HelloFresh is all their meals are extremely nutritious for you. So not only are they good tasting, not only are they inexpensive, but they're actually good for you. And as someone who's a little weight conscious currently, that's a big thing for me. And if I, if I know that everything in this plate is good for me and I can have, and like, first off, all this is super filling. So it's going to be like two meals. But if, if I know personally it's going to affect me in a positive way, I'm going to go out my way to make it. it. Again, it's, it's a great process, 30 to 40 minutes per meal in terms of cook time. And then you're sitting down, hanging out, watching the Celtics. Can't, can't get better than HelloFresh and Celtics at the same time. Trust me. And our way of combining the two here at CLNS is, of course, go to HelloFresh.com slash BEAT21. That is B-E-A-T 21. Use the code BEAT21 for 21 free meals plus free shipping. Again, 21 free meals. That's a crazy number. 21 free meals and free shipping. HelloFresh.com. America's number one meal kit. Seth, you should be doing this. You are someone that, uh, you know, I, I, I think the sound of free meals probably sounds wonderful to you. But do you know me? <laughs> so thank you hello fresh for uh joining up here with celtics beat we appreciate you being here with us and look forward to more fun weeks and of course meals to come as well we'll get right back to seth talk and sees first want to tell you about our good friends at bet online of course your top source your number one spot for all your sports betting this season everything from the nfl playoffs which as we chat right now we are down to the final four games being played here. It's divisional round weekend. And of course, pro and college basketball, UFC, MMA, so much more. There's futures, NBA on a daily basis, NHL. You can look down the line at Major League Baseball. It's all available to you. To find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, game trends, you name it, go to betonline.ag. With live betting options, free contests, live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. Here's something. 
that we've been thinking a little bit about with the Lakers coming to town in one week. How will uh, LeBron James pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to take over the all-time NBA scoring lead? Yeah, that is something you can actually bet on. In fact, our good friend uh, Seth here may have done so. We can check in with him a little bit later on on that. Two-pointer, okay, minus 275. That is the favorite. It's the most common, whether it's a layup, a dunk, a jumper, whatever. A two-pointer, a free throw, a little more chancy, I guess, plus 325. And then a three-pointer, Ev. A three-pointer at plus 525. If you had to choose between those three, clearly the favorite, the front runner is logical. Do you like one of the longer odds? I'm, I'm a big free-throw guy. I think he's going to do it on a free-throw free guy. This is going to be the most anticlimactic way to do it. A three would be, like, amazing. He could do it on a power dunk, on the break. He could do it shooting a free-throw because it's, the it's like, the lamest one. That's why. I I wonder if it's going to be in his head. And of course it will be, but I mean, like, to what degree, like, he really controls it. Like, if he has an opportunity for a breakaway layup, is he, is he gonna, you know, not take it and take the three because he just wants to do it that way? You know what I mean? Let me tell you something. I pressure in LeBron, I think at this point, I doesn't, doesn't bother that guy. That guy's been through everything you could possibly throw. I I don't mean he's gonna crack under the pressure. I mean, is he going to, like a movie, is he going to try and orchestrate it and do it a certain way? I think he'll try. A, a few times, but I'm not sure if he'll be successful. I definitely think he'll try because that's the way LeBron is. He wants to be a showman, for sure. MVP odds right now, Nikola Jokic and the Western Conference leading, as we talked about earlier, Denver Nuggets, minus 115 to three-beat. Can he do it? Luka Doncic, plus 375. Jason Tatum, despite that crappy game he had against the Warriors, plus 575. So uh, still top three. We'll see how it goes. Bet online, truly the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today. That's betonline.ag. Use the mobile device. Join. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Make sure you use that promo code CLNS50 to receive your rewards. Betonline.ag, where the game starts. All right, let's get back to the show. Uh, Seth, you alluded to this before. Let's talk a little bit about it. The uh, NBA trade deadline is approaching. We're only a few weeks away. Of course, the Juancho Hernan Gomez, not a name I've said in a while, TPE, the traded player exception, just expired uh, yesterday or the day before. So that was another, I don't know, $7 million, $6.9 million option he's had. Yeah, RIP to yet another TPE, unfortunately. But there are remaining options there. There's uh, still the Daniel Gallinari uh, disabled player exception that they have at their disposal and uh, there's certainly an open roster spot, as we know now, with the Noah Vonley deal. Uh, there have been rumblings, rumors, like there, there's the will the Celtics send out Peyton Pritchard. That's about the biggest name that you see on the going out the door list right now. But in terms of potentially coming in, the Jakob Pertles of the world, could there be another Spurs trade? We were texting about that, obviously. Other potential options. We know Brad and uh, Pop like to like to deal. Those two organizations, they work well together over the last few years. What makes the most sense, though, for this group? Well, so it, that's a, it's a good question. It's hard to Thank know. You. I mean, um, I think you have to think about the obvious position of need is center. I think the next most obvious position of need would be um, like a big wing um, who could maybe like, if you, if you could rely on a big wing to be in the rotation to maybe take some minutes from Tatum and Brown, like as, as we get close to the end of the season. So I think 
you know, I think it would be hard to say this team, it would be sort of pointless to acquire a guard. Peyton Pritchard is already out of the rotation, even though he's like a totally playable NBA guard. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. And then they have like, uh, maybe just to break it down a little, there's, there's like a few levels of player you could, you could get here. Like they can go, they can bring back someone up to $10.9 million if they package Gallinari and Peyton Pritchard. Um, that number then goes down to what is it? Eight point two. If it's if they just moved Gallo, they could bring back eight point two million, um, and then they have the five point nine million Schroeder TPE, um, and then so like and then you brought up the Gallinari disabled player exception, which is interesting. Like I didn't know this until pretty recently, but evidently they can use that as like cap space, at, at, like if in the buyout market, and mm-hmm. so I think you probably want to save that for. If if there's a player in the buyout market who um, who you're bidding with other teams like against the Celtics now have the most money to offer a player like that basically, um, so that's kind of like the landscape. I, anything anything bigger than a player making ten point nine million would require like freeing up more roster spots or considering moving someone who's actually playing like a, like a Derek White or a Malcolm Brogdon or like on a smaller scale of Grant Williams. And I just don't think there's any way they would do any of those things. So um, I don't know. I mean, like I made a list. Do you want, do you want to like, should I, do you want to hear some? Yeah, like, exactly what I'm ti- I'm tired of people talking in generalities. Like, you know, like we do, I, I, I would, I would love to, here a uh, a prepared okay. list of potential realistic targets as opposed to oh. all the people go like go out there and uh you know trade for some dude that makes 18 million dollars no give me a give me a realistic list well so and then before i get into the list the one other thing to think about is like there are players who teams would be like happy to get rid of right and then there's players who probably cost you like a second round draft pick and there's players who cost you probably a first round draft pick I think I think there are some unknowns at this point. Like, does Peyton Pritchard actually have like positive value on the trade market? How negative is Danilo Gallinari's trade value on the trade market? So, like, those are all questions. So, when when you hear a name like Jakob Pertl come up, and you hear rumors that the Spurs are looking for two first round picks, the Celtics already owe a first round pick this year, and then you have to think of Gallinari as negative salary. So, like, does that mean like something in addition to two first round picks? It just feels like the cost of that right now is that for to be a, a three-team deal too? Because Gallinari can't go back to to San Antonio. That's right. So yeah, you got to find a third we, team. What are we doing here? That's right. You have to find a third team for Gallinari. Why not get to Marcus Cousins? That's an <laughs> I just interesting saw question. that pop up on YouTube. And if, again, if anyone's just joining us, if you <laughs> well, hey, are you Demarcus Cousins? Up, we're, we're, we're happy to address them. Please. Oh, is, is, well, let, is Demar is is Boogie on your list, Seth? No. So let, the final the final piece before we start getting into names, don't bring up a name of a center if that center isn't obviously better than Luke Cornett, right? Like um like if Luke Cornett's better than the guy you're bringing in, what's the point? Um and so I would say that's probably true right. of Demarcus Cousins at this point of his career. So what can I interest you guys in Mo Bamba? Yes. Yeah, you can. Yes. Absolutely. 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 I, I would be down for that. That's now, would you, are you interested in Mobamba if the cost is Pritchard and Gallinari? Because that's how you get to that salary. What's his, what's his contract status at this point? He's it's it's a good contract. It's ten. It's like ten point three, I think, this year, and then it's non guaranteed for next year. 
And he's he's like not in Orlando's rotation. Right. And obviously he's young. Yep. I, uh, yeah. I mean, I could be sold on that. So that's sure. an interesting one. You come back to the thing that we've talked about, Seth, how much how much faith do you have in J.D. Davison? Because because that's – because, look, is Pritchard uh, – Look, I love Pritchard, but he's, 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 he's not – he doesn't have a long term. Yeah, yeah. But, the, but he also provides some really excellent depth just in case any one of these four guys gets hurt. Like when he does. when Brogdon and and Derek White or Smart and Derek White or Brown and Bro- like one of one like one of those guys or never mind two of those guys go down, having Pritchard there is ginormously useful. Um, yeah. You come in and it's like nobody's ever left. The the thing you'd have to uh, you know be hopeful about is that Davison could replace some of that production. The question becomes: Am I willing to? Uh, dance a little bit with Davison to get Mo Bamba. I think it might. It's an interesting, I mean, like the fact that Mo Bamba is um, the non-guarantee for next year is interesting because if it doesn't work out, there's lots of options to move that deal in the mm-hmm. off season. And also because he's young, maybe it is someone you can like, you can get on, on like a reasonable deal for his next contract and start thinking about, he can shoot a little bit. So like, you know, you can start thinking about get the wheels turning about having to replace Horford at some point in the next couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. Some other interesting names, I guess, are like Nerlens Noel, Dario Saric, Mason Plumley. I mean, like Saric, Saric and Plumley are a little interesting to me because at least they can kind of, they're good passers. Um, and you can maybe like run some of the same stuff that you run with Horford. Um Plumlee's not a shooter, but he's a really good passer. Saric has a little bit of shooting and a little more of a floor game. Um, so those guys are kind of interesting. One guy, like, so Isaiah Hartenstein is not, like, really playing for the Knicks right now. And, like, you know, they, they even with the Mitchell Robinson injury, like, Jericho Sims is starting and Hartenstein's only playing, like, what, like, less than 20 minutes off the bench, even with Robinson out. And so... And he's he makes a small enough amount of money that like you could get him for the Gallo contract without including Pritchard. So like, are you willing to give up if the cost is like a future, a couple of future twos? Maybe like I don't know. I don't know if New York wants to move him. He's probably if they were going to move him, I think he's a player a lot of teams like. I think people were like kind of jealous when the Knicks got him this summer. But that's another name for you. <laughs> I'd like to make the argument that. I would argue that wing is more important than center. I like it. Only because. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Did everyone, everyone on your list are bigs or, or did you have anybody else? No, I was just starting there. So, um, well, and then there's some like middle ground guys. Like um, it probably costs too much to get these guys, but PJ Washington or Jared Vanderbilt are like, they play as bigs, but they also can guard like multiple positions. They're not that big, actually. Um, How much is Jared Vanderbilt's going to cost? I think some capital, though. You know what I mean? I like mean, everybody, everybody wants Jared Vanderbilt for some yeah. reason. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I no. feel like it's going to cost significant draft capital, which I don't. For think- both of those guys, you're talking about giving up future picks for sure. Yeah, and and you know, I like PJ Washington too. Um, I actually like a guy on that team a little bit better, and we talked about this. Like again, I, if, after that Charlotte game, the second one, I would have told Jalen McDaniels to get on the bus, and I would have figured out how to get that done because I think that's a guy. You know, he's I think is he RFA or UFA at the end of this year? 
he's a free uh, agent. I believe, he's an, I believe he's an unrestricted free agent. Yeah, so there's there's some, you know, lose the asset for nothing potential coming out of here, up here at some point. Um, and I don't think they retain his bird rights. I don't, again, I could be wrong about that. You're yeah, going to have sure. to, I, I, it's not my forte. Um, but that's a guy that could help you out. My point being with, with wing stuff, given where the Celtics are right now, and I'm saying UFA in 23. Thank you, Ami. He's the man. Um, the thing about training for anybody right now, the Celtics are going to tr- make a major trade for anybody that's really going to be some huge name. It's just not yeah. going to happen. What you're going to end up seeing is a trade that's meant for the regular season, meaning none of the guys they're bringing in outside of Jakob Pertl, which is, again, a really tough one to actually execute because of the Gallo thing. Outside of Jakob Pertl, I don't think there's a guy that they're going to trade for that's going to really play in the playoffs, unless it's matchup. You know, there's a matchup that they want to exploit, and that particular player exploits a matchup. Or it's going to be more unpredictable. Yeah, but that's the point. You want to, it'd be to cut down potential injury risk to the Jays by trying to get them less minutes. Don't want Tatum playing 41 straight minutes in the game. Like, just don't want that to happen. Um, you just, it's a way to minimize your risk. And I think if I were Brad, I, you're not going anywhere without the Jays. Like if they lose Rob, yes, that's going to be very difficult to overcome the loss of Rob Williams, as we yeah. saw in the playoffs. It's going to be very difficult. But you're dead in the water if you don't have Jason Tatum. Um, and I'd argue you're almost as equally dead in the water if you don't have Jalen Brown. It's just the way it is. So, I would go ahead. Well, so yeah, the, the, as you know, the, like the fact that we're bringing that up as a position of need is, is, um, Part of the whole point of that is that it's a it's a position every team basically needs, and so the list of guys who are available who who like play a position like that is pretty short. Um, some interested, like I don't know, would the Rockets be willing to move Jay Sean Tate? I think that's kind of an interesting mm-hmm. question. Um, he's on a reasonable, like a really small contract that fits in the TPE for the next like three years. That would be a great get, like. Um, but he's like Even the problem is rounder back for Jay Sean Tate. That's all we're gonna do. Maybe the the thing is, I feel like they'd put, he's such a he's like a good player on a small contract. I feel like they'd want to keep him unless you give up a first. And are you really giving up a first for Jay Sean Tate? So you get into those kind of debates. Um, Justin what? Holiday from the Hawks is an interesting mm-hmm. one. He's like not really in the rotation. Um, would they be willing to cut bait with him? And I was also looking at Amir Coffey from the Clippers. Um, He's a player I've liked uh, since he was in college and um, pretty good passer, can make threes, can like has a, some pretty good size on the perimeter. I don't know if the Clippers want – he's also on like a under – I think under $4 million contract for the next couple of years. And so like that would be a nice player to get. But the Clippers aren't really in the business of like like trying to reduce salary. They're basically willing to do whatever it takes to keep getting better. So, yeah, it's tough. I'm seeing. Uh, I'm just seeing this question. That... Oh, sorry. Just seeing the Eric Gordon from Houston thing. Yeah, we, I, I love Eric Gordon, but he makes 19 million. So unless you're giving up, yeah, um, that falls under like, the unrealistic category. Yeah, it's just too much money. What about kind of the bigger picture stuff? And we, and we talked about this, if I'm not mistaken, over our our text chain. You know, and and this to the, to the panel as well. Uh, you know, not not just you guys. I mean, the, those out there on on the YouTube that are watching or or listening wherever you're finding us. Do you have to make a move if you're the Celtics? And the way I'm framing that is not do you have to like to get better? Like, do you have these needs you absolutely have to address? 
because I think we all agree the answer is no. You don't have to do anything. You're already a championship caliber team, and you're already arguably better than you were last year when you were in the finals and, you know, came within two wins of a championship. But have to do it sort of looking at what you've achieved this year, looking at what the potential is, looking at the as we sit here in late January, overall health, you can't project that, I know, but you're just sort of looking at what you have and and the opportunity that is in front of you and just how wide open the league is. Some people are really anti-giving up picks. Other people don't care and they think future picks are worthless and all that. And I know there's there's a middle ground there that probably the three of us live in, but do you have to make a move at, you know, at the expense of future assets to give yourself the absolute best chance at a championship this year just to sort of you know you got to get that chip you got to get banner 18 you like this core needs it in in part for their growth and and long-term future of of any hope of of building up a dynasty you know what i'm saying i i, I get that idea i i do i really do understand it i just think um it, it's hard not to look at these moves like you know, first of all, there's just not a lot they can do. And so we're running through this list of stuff that's reasonable. I mean, and some of the things on this list aren't even real. Like, they're not getting PJ Washington. They're not getting Jakob Pertle. Like, it, the truth is, like, some of these things aren't even reasonable. And so you start thinking about, like, is it worth, um, we, you know, you use the word dynasty. And the way you the way you create a dynasty is you stay really good for a long time. Like you do the prudent thing. You know, if the Celtics wait until this offseason to start thinking about moving draft picks, suddenly you have more draft picks available to be traded because the one that you owe the Pacers for this year conveys. And now you have your full complement of first round picks, except for the swap to the Spurs in 2028. And um, so they actually like, you know, unforeseen stuff comes up with a team and you're, you're looking at like Jalen Brown being an unrestricted free agent in a couple off seasons. Maybe Um, you're looking at Tatum coming up the year after that. Um, And you might want to have some ammo to make moves to keep those guys happy. If like, if things don't go well, Um, if you, if you get it, catch an injury at the wrong time and the playoffs are a disappointment, like um, you know, to to sell out those opportunities for like a 0.1% increase in your championship equity. Um, as someone who's a fan of the team and really wants them to win a championship, that's not something I want them to do. I would push back on that. I think you got to, you, you know that this team is, is there with you're in contention with everybody else. I mean, if you think about it last year, this team was drawing dead right around this point. And then they started to turn around and they went to the NBA finals. As we see with the Atlanta Hawks, nothing is given, nothing is certain with anything. And that team went to the conference finals and hasn't been nearly close since. Uh, and I don't think they're getting close this year, to be frankly honest with you, with the way that team is run. And if you look at their future, like it doesn't look great in Atlanta right now. I think I don't think it's about a statement to Jalen or Jason that you're going to win. I think those guys both know, like, yeah, we're, we're here to win games. And I think the idea of being that they're going to win games for a long time. I just think you can't – there's nothing guaranteed about next season. Like, this team has been contending for a long time. You know, you go back to <laughs> John Wall saying that uh, 
They the, the Cavs wanted no part of John Wall and the Wizards in the conference finals. So that was funny when Kelly Olynyk went off for, in Game Seven. They lose that conference finals. They've been to the conference finals a bunch. They lost to Miami. They finally broke through again against Miami, losing in the finals. Like you can't. There's nothing certain here. And when we have Giannis in your conference, um, Durant's going to be hanging around for at least a couple more years. Uh, you got to strike while the iron's hot. And I think Boston. Needs to find a way to – it doesn't have to be a huge upgrade either. As Seth has mentioned, it takes two to tango at this point, And, like, teams are not just going to hand the Celtics assets. It's like, oh, yeah, here's P.J. Washington for you. Or here's Jalen McDaniels. Or here's mm. your favorite player they want. They're not going to do that. But I think the risk of, of getting someone that could be very helpful to, to try and really win right now I think is really smart. Because this team – this the, this this league's about to get slightly watered down a little bit with this expansion coming up. Uh, and that's in the you know periphery over here, um, but there's a lot of stacked teams in the league right now. As we talked about Denver, Denver's in first place, and Jeff Green's not playing right now, and yeah. Maul Murray's not back totally from injury yet. Um, that team's going to be better. They're going to make well, a move. Let me give you a hypothetical. Sure. I think you're making a good point, but let's so let's 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 take a case here. So, would you rather the Celtics? Like, because I agree they should make some upgrade. I think. I think not using the $5.9 million TPE, even if it's to get a player that another team like doesn't want, like even if it's to pick up someone who like really isn't good at all, like um, I don't know. Like with one, one guy I was thinking of is like, would the Pacers give up on Goga Batatze, who's barely in their rotation? He mm-hmm. fits into that TPE. Maybe you get him for like a second round pick. Like that doesn't cost you any like major equity that you could use for something bigger down the road and it adds a piece that could be useful like i'm not against doing something small like that but so my case would be like would you rather them just like get like just a decent player who could fill in the back of the rotation without giving up any important assets or would you rather them cash in like two future first round picks for purtle who would be like a great fit um and like could be like could be like a center that you keep in the rotation as Horford gets older. Like that's a, that I, I could see the, the rationale for doing that for like, but then you don't have those picks to use for like, you know, we got Malcolm Brogdon for a first round pick this summer. Like you're, you're out of the running for things that come up in, like that in the off season. And the thing is with, with those picks too, is as your roster gets more expensive, hitting on those picks becomes way more important as Golden State's finding out. Like Golden State got so lucky when, you know, I, I guess you can thank Minnesota for this too, of just not doing the right stuff all the time. They could have not have picked James Wiseman. They could have picked mm-hmm. someone else. They could have picked Lamella Wall. They could have yep. picked Tyrese Halliburton. You know, Halliburton and Golden State would be, like, not fair at all. Evan, um, Evan, forget those picks. People say picks in the 20s aren't valuable. Look at Peyton Pritchard, Robert Williams, and Grant Williams. Well, where are we been, We can keep going here. Tyrese Maxey. I mean, you can go yeah, all I mean, day here. Those picks are super important. Just on the Celtics, part of the reason they're able to have this really good team is that they've nailed a bunch of these late first-round picks. Yeah, as much as we want to give Danny Ainge flack for not hitting on Avery. I don't don't even want to talk. I don't give Danny Ainge any flack. Danny Ainge was an above-average drafter. I said that from day one. There were two important decisions he had to make, and he drafted Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. They were both home runs. Like, Yep. And then he's nailed a bunch of stuff. Anyway, we don't want to get the, yeah, the Danny Ainge stuff. Yeah. But like those, like those first round picks, like Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga. Like again, you're not going to probably pick that high, but like again, those guys are super important. Um, and I'm with Seth in the fact that like you don't want to get 
you don't want to mortgage your entire future to get Jakob Pertl for what, like just because those picks are going to be really, really important as Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown combined for like $150 million or whatever the hell they're going to combine yeah. for. In, yeah. In I guess years. my question for them would be like, how good does a player need to be for it to be worth giving up a 2025 first round pick right now? When it, and it when you keep in mind that um, if you wait until this off season to do something like that, you could then like you could do this thing they've been doing where they just trade like that year's first round pick. Like I get what they're doing with these moves, like for Derek White and Malcolm Brogdon, that makes sense to me. It doesn't like if a superstar becomes available who you want to package a bunch of picks to get. We still have like the vast majority of our picks. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's tough. I mean, to your Hawks point also, like, isn't part of the reason that team has a gloomy outlook that they went all in with their draft picks? Like, part, yeah, and like, they, they picked DeJounte Murray, who's not a great fit next to Trey Young. I mean, he's DeJounte Murray's an awesome, awesome player. I love that guy. But like, you know, they made their move and that's it for them now. There's no other move to make. Kelly Oubre, I don't know. Does he make enough money? That's, a, that's a, at least a... Uh... A wing guy. I don't know. I liked Kelly Oubre when he came out of college. I was a big fan. I think he makes a little too much, but much we money. Can check. Yeah, a lot of these guys make a lot of money. Kyle, it's a good suggestion. Um, again, you you and I are on the same page on that. Uh, but uh, I I don't know. I don't know if they're getting money on that. What how, what that looks like? But somebody you like get, that. yeah, you'd have to give up more than uh, more than just Gallo and Pritchard and Pritchard. Yeah, so that's tough. Tough to get to that point. But again, solid. Uh, Obviously, I, I hear all the back and forth between you two, and I, I don't know even that, like, Seth was talking about that Pirtle may command multiple first-round picks anyway. If you could get Jakob Pirtle for one first-round pick, I would do it. I, yeah. I, 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 I could absolutely be sold on that. What if it's but, one first-round first pick and another first-round pick to get off Gallo? No. So yeah. that, that that's the thing. Like, but the, but the, But I'm not as desperate to get off Gallo as as you are or maybe some other people are. I just mean I, that's I, the so, only that's the only way to get Pirtle. Like Gallo has yeah. to be included to get him. And so right. like but yeah and if if you have to get off him to you know give up a first rounder a la you know the the Kemba Al Horford situation or whatever. Like that's you know I'm not I'm I'm not looking to do that. Yeah. Yeah I think it's just um, hard like when you start seeing the actual price of this stuff it's like it's really hard. It's a hard sell. Um, when, when's Mike Zarin going to come on the show and break all this down for us? That's what oh I'm man, wondering. that would be so much fun. <laughs> Love Mike. Um, okay, well we've we've gone. I don't know, forty five minutes, fifty minutes, almost an hour, whatever the heck it's been. Does uh, do either of you have anything to add? Because I, I want people to have a little time to. Uh, you know, relax before the the tip in two and a half hours. Seth, I saw you raising your hand. We're not in school. Just, you can just interrupt me. I just gotta say one little thing, which is that I owe Malcolm Brogdon a, a little bit of an apology. I've been good, complaining, okay, complaining about him on Twitter all year because I hated his decision making going to the basket, all those no chance layups that lead to fast breaks going the other way. Um, since I like really started complaining about him like deeply on January fifth, he's like shooting over sixty percent at the rim, and I think he's making great decisions. I like I really think he over this eight game win streak, he's been like a completely different player than he was for the prior month. And his shooting has been like lights out all year, like from deep. Well, I was gonna say, what's this three point percentage in that uh stretch? Oh man, well? he's on fire. Yeah, no, he's on yeah, fire. Not, not even just at the rim. 
and I'll just, he's just so important. Like we, we know how important he is for the team. Like no one has disagreed about that, but it's pretty extreme when you look at it. Like if you look at usage rates for the Celtics, it's like Tatum and Brown have really high usage rates. And then Brogdon has a pretty high usage rate. And then no one else like cleaning the gas glass, uh, a great stats website for people. If they don't know it, Um, they'll give you like the percentile of a guy's stats in comparison to the rest of the league, the Celtics don't have a single other player like over like 31 per, 31st percentile in usage. Did you see the, this guy that, that covers the Mavs um, did a, a, a piece about how much each team dribbles the ball and it's broken down by player. And Boston has like the most evenly distributed d- dribble uh, distribution on their team. And Dallas is like, just Luca. <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable. But I will say this about Malcolm. I love to see him hit a, a right-handed layup. He goes to the left all the time. And I understand he's good at it, but I'd love to see him hit a right-handed and layup. He and shoots, he shoots uh, layups on the right side of the court with his left hand, which is a problem also. Yeah. So yeah. I love that. I, he attacks left all the time. And I just feel like at some point you're going to the playoffs and some teams will be like, hey, let's just make Malcolm go right and see what happens. And, you know, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Well, anyway. I think uh, yeah. I, once we reach the point in the comment section where people are asking each other what they think about stuff that we already talked about earlier in the show, uh, which, which is is not a slight on our listeners, it's it's a, a a compliment, it's a thank you because it means you're you're interested in the talking points. Uh, it's probably time for us to sign off, though. So uh, I want to thank uh, obviously everybody who has been out there, who has been listening. These live versions of this show are always fun. Uh, apologies, I guess, if you're listening to the podcasted version, if it comes. Uh, you know, after the the Raptors game, hopefully that's a win absent Jason Tatum. And more importantly, God forbid anybody gets hurt. So hopefully, hopefully they make it through healthy. That is all we care about for hey, the, uh, just, just really for the sustainability of this podcast, Evan. Hey, hey, let me put it. I, I want Sam Hauser to get hot. That's the main thing I'm looking for. We need Sam Hauser to get hot. That would solve actually a lot of problems. Yeah. Sam Hauser finding it, a shot it would to get nice. a lot. Godspeed, Sam. Solve a lot of problems for a team that's first in the NBA and won eight in a row. Let's clear up all these issues. 13th guy on the bench is not cutting it right now. Tough world. Heaven forbid. Uh, All right. We have got uh, just the upcoming schedule to let you know, by the way. Three-game trip at Toronto. Of course, that's in a couple hours. At Orlando on Monday. And then uh, back-to-back at Miami on Tuesday. So Al Horford's going to miss one of those for sure. And don't be surprised if Tatum and or Brown. uh, Maybe Tatum is is good for both because he's sitting out in Toronto. But I wouldn't be surprised if Jalen Brown ends up sitting one of those either, depending on this, uh, you know, adductor issue and how long it lingers and that type of thing. And uh, we're sitting uh, basically a week away from, actually, today's 21st, right? We're exactly a week away from my birthday. And the Celtics are playing the Lakers at the Garden. So uh, maybe I should go. That could be beautiful. LeBron might break the record that game. Is that true? bring me down. Granny pointed this out, I think, preseason. He goes, "Don't, don't think that LeBron doesn't know that, that he could break the record in the Garden. Yeah. So just point that out. You might see history, Adam. All right. Longest, most elongated goodbye ever. Thanks for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. Thanks to Seth, to Evan. I'm Adam Amit, our producer and technical director and uh, uh, all things behind the scenes, even, even a commenter in the comments section. We'll see you next time. Enjoy the game tonight.